This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer, and today we have a very special guest in Mr. Scott Brown. He's so used to that, it just doesn't phase him. It's every way I'm out in public. It happens to me in public all the time. People just applaud when I walk in the room. When, even when you go, yeah, <laughs> Publix, I hear, is a big one, too. Yes, <laughs> yes. The produce section, there's a lot of applause. <laughs> Scott is the founder of Edgewater Family Wealth. He's a, a financial advisor with Raymond James, as I am. So uh, awesome to have a fellow Ray J guy on. And Scott is also an author of I've Never Made Anyone Rich which is probably not true. We'll dive into that a little bit. <laughs> he's been in the business for a while, so I'm sure he has. And he's also a radio host, Only Money on Real Radio, which is awesome. When did you, so the interesting thing is I'm researching you. I went to school at UCF and they used to have two shows on 104.1 I would watch. They had this Monsters of the Midday, yeah, like this like group of like wacky people. And they would yep. come up with like albums and stuff. They were really interesting people. And, and then Howard Stern was on the channel as well for a while if I remember correctly, I think he did the mornings. So awesome. How long have you been on it? And, and what's that like working there? Well, I've been, so I've been doing radio for a long time. I used to do radio in Lake County, WLBE back in the nineties and early two thousands. I took a little bit of a hiatus there and I've been doing the real radio show with Jim Colbert. Now, Jim, you will know Jim from the morning show. He was dirty Jim back in the oh, day. Oh, that's dirty Jim. Yeah. yeah I remember yeah. him. So Jim, yeah, so Jim Colbert and I have been doing this segment on his show every Tuesday about 5.30ish, and I've been doing that for about a year, and prior to that, I worked with Ryan Holmes on Sunday morning, so we just switched to the Tuesday. But Jim Colbert has a big passion for financial planning, which is a weird thing for a guy to be passionate about that's not his business, but he just loves the idea of teaching people how to better manage their finances so they don't, the stress of that situation doesn't weigh down on them. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember the show. And then I remember like, I, again, I was there from like 99 to, to 02. And then I think like within like eight or nine years after that, I think I Googled them and like the whole show had disbanded. And it was a pretty no, popular they're still show. There. Are they still? still there? Yeah, the monsters in the morning are still there. Russ and all that crew. They're the biggest morning show still in town. Wow. Okay. Maybe it was yeah. since, I, I think Savannah had left, right? Like she was like the big. She did. She went yeah. to work at the alligator place, but she's also back from time to time. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very neat. So Scott, give us a little background on, on your history of the business. The interesting thing when I was looking you up is not only have you been in the business forever, I'm not calling you old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can call me old. It's okay. But you did something very rare, which is you stayed at the same firm for all those years, which is like amazing. Rare, rarely happens nowadays. Talk a little bit about your history in the business. Did you start out on the wirehouse side and then kind of move to the independent side? Were you always independent? No. So I have a weird path that most people could not relate to. So I started out the summer of 1987. In fact, I started about four weeks before Black Monday with a small mutual fund outfit. I'm not even going to name because it's embarrassing. And we sold two mutual funds who owned, who both were made up of junk bonds. So I sold two junk bond funds. They just had different names. So it was uh, Oakman Strat, what was that? O Oakman. <laughs> oh, no, it was another co company I won't disparage. But so I did that for six years and then I went independent. And after being in independent for about five years or no, probably like three or four years, we had grown exponentially. And I won't bore you with the reasons why we grew as a team. But we kind of outgrown our ability. So Raymond James came to us, the, the manager here in Orlando is a good friend of mine. And 
they approached us about teaming up with Raymond James. So we onboarded our team to Raymond James that have been there ever since 2000. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, just to highlight a little bit of, of your background, this is a, a big producer. So we're not listening to somebody that's a small producer, about $6 million a year pr- production-wise. And the team they have is even a lot more. I think he, I think Scott alone is number 18 in the, the country. So congratulations yeah. on all that success. Thank you. It's I don't know how it happened because I'm just a rural kid from from Pasco, Hernando County, who kind of bumbled his way into this thing. So it's yeah. But with my partner Paul Wood, we have about a twenty million dollar practice and a couple billion in assets. Which even when I say it, it sounds preposterous. Like I don't even know how did this happen. But and, somehow and it did, did, and we got a lot of great advisors. So that's why. And how did that work with your team? As far as like Nat, as you onboard teammates. Are they handling some of the quarterly reviews or reviews with clients? Are they handling most of the behind the scenes where you're just kind of doing meetings when those are, how did you, as you got so big, how did you start delegating to other people, part of the team? Yeah. So my vertical, as you mentioned, is closer to, to five or 6 million. So that's my direct vertical team, which is about seven deep. And they do, I have a lead planner, I have a CFA on staff that manages money, does trades, builds bond ladders and things like that. My son is also working with me. He's kind of my junior advisor. And then we have a bunch of administrative staff that are fantastic for the vertical. On the horizontal side, where we have 30 some odd advisors throughout the state, that's Paul Wood really is responsible for that mess. But, but we have a bunch of advisors and we have an administrative team here in Orlando that kind of supports all those advisors throughout the state. So it's, we have 60 employees. So it's, a, it's kind of a, a big ball of wax, if you will. So sometimes I don't know how it works, but it, it seems to on a day-to-day basis. That's awesome. Well, you, don't, you probably don't know this, but I met your son and played golf with him last year. So the interesting thing was, and I didn't know that until I was doing the research on you, is we got teamed up every one, once a year, Raymond James does a, a golf, an annual golf tournament. And we got teamed up with your son and, and two other guys I didn't know, uh, another guy named Michael Tucher, who's an advisor at Ray J, who we hit a birdie on the first shot. And then Michael Tucher made us have some bourbon. And <laughs> made you have some bourbon. M- made us have some bourbon. And by 18 holes, we found out about three hours later, we ended up winning the event, which was awesome. So did you know that? I did. He also won the long drive contest, which I had to listen to for about three days. So yes, I'm fully aware of his prowess on the golf course with your team. <laughs> he, he, he did. And he, he beat me by 12 yards on that long drive. Too. Oh, I, yeah. I, I was close. I was getting there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, a lot of fun. And when did you decide what's interesting? I have three kids. My kids are a lot younger than your kids and not again, aging you a little bit. And I think at some point, like I know my oldest is constantly like, I want to come work for you. And my whole situation is like, hey, go see what else is out there. And uh, you always have this to come back to, right? Like, I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's the, how do they say? It? I, don't, I forgot the words I want to use, but more or less, like, there's other better professions you can be. You, you can go yeah. you know, work in medicine, do this. When did your son yeah. decide to join? Were you acceptive of it? And, and how's that been going? Well, so my son's background is that he was a musician straight out of high school. He was a, a guitar player and a singer in a band for, for the, and they were, they had cups of coffee with greatness at moments, but like many bands, it was, he got tired of the dirty van and the smoky bars and, and decided that this business might be for him. And he was about 25 at the time. I never expected him to enter the business. I, I said to him, as you've alluded to a couple of times now, Evan, I'm getting up there and to the point I'll be 60 on my next birthday. And I said to him a couple of years ago, I said, listen, man, 
I'm not going to do this forever. If you want to get in on this and you want to learn about the business, I'm running out of time. It's now or never. And to be honest with you, I fully expected him to tell me to get lost. He wasn't, he wouldn't have any interest. And he said, and he looked me in the eye and he said, yeah, I think I'm ready, which was not what I was expecting. And so that changed the dynamic of my business and my life going forward. Because to be honest with you, we'd run the practice to a decent place. I had a lot of good staff on the team and I was expecting to bring my handicap down into single digits and that would be that. But once he decided to onboard, I had to fully re-engage. We've ramped up our marketing activities. We're doing a lot of events and a lot of media and podcasting and things like you're doing to grow the practice, which to be honest with you, has been invigorating. I, I very much enjoyed it and I'm glad to help them do that. And I also tell you that in 37 years in this business, I've watched this happen numerous times. It'll likely happen to you where the kid the young person, and whether your son or your daughter, will show zero interest. And something happens magically, Evan, at about age 25 or 26, where they look around and go, the old man seems to be doing all right, making some good money, and he's kind of an idiot, so I should be able to do this. Right? Yeah. They, they bring those two things together and go, well, how hard can it be if my dad's doing it? I see it already in my 13-year-old. So it's she questions me on the math that she's doing, which I can't. It's funny. We're financial planners, but when it gets to algebra, we're yeah, not necessarily no the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, be the best at it. As far as staying at the same firm for all these years, and obviously this is a great firm. I'm happy here. Obviously, you're happy here or you wouldn't be here. What's caused you to stay that long? Is it always been that you've been just kind of happy or have you, I guess there's also contentment, like, Hey, I'm here. I built this. Mm -hmm. Like, do I really want to move mm -hmm. this Titanic? What are, what have your thoughts been on that? And then a, a kind of a secondary question, as you get more successful and the RIA side starts kind of creeping up, have you thought about that? Have you started looking at that a little bit? Well, to answer the first question, St. Raymond James has always been the home team to me. I'm a Florida boy. I'm a fourth generation Floridian. My great grandmother taught high school at St. Pete High at the turn of the last century. Yeah. So from to me, Raymond James and what Tom has built and his dad built before that were always fascinating to me. And I was thrilled to join Raymond James. Having said that, there are a lot of great firms. The firms all have their strengths and weaknesses. Raymond James is no different. They've always treated me fairly. I love the fact that I can pick up the phone and call top executives in the C-suite anytime I want, and they will actually answer the phone, which I don't think is true at most firms. So I like that. I, again, it's not been without challenges, but every firm, again, has their challenges. With regard to the, to the RIA side, yes, obviously, I've had numerous conversations about that. I have friends who have many who have done it. I'm in a study group where half the guys and gals are RIAs now, whether it's with Raymond James or at Fidelity or wherever it is. There are obviously advantages to that. I do a lot of marketing, and, and on the independent side, it is a little difficult to push through mass marketing, but Raymond James is working on that, they tell me. So we'll find out if that proves to be true. But yeah, I've looked at the RIA. I'm not rule. I don't ever rule out anything. I'm also a guy who doesn't jump around. I know a lot of guys or gals move firms for a variety of reasons. The largest one being the big golf check that they give you when you do that. It's never been of interest to me. I have a, my revenue's good. My income's fine. I don't need a yacht or a Ferrari to every other day. I'm content with the firm and my clients are content. They're used to the statements. They're used to the this. They're used to the that. I don't really want upheaval for them. Again, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it or I won't do it because I never rule anything out. But Raymond James has been a good home to me. 
as I'm sure other firms are to other people who have stayed at those firms for 20 or 30 years. Yeah, and I can attest for you, the check wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't get you the yacht. And if it got you the yacht, you're going to be able to afford the yacht yourself by putting money away. And there making, you go. Making there pay out on, on the independent chassis. And I, I would also speak to the interesting thing is you talked about being able to speak to the higher levels here without any kind of hardship. And be honest with you, it doesn't matter what kind of producer you are, they pick up the phone no matter what. So it's, it is it is a great right. firm. And I, I will tell you on a technology standpoint from being at a couple other firms, this is the best place out there from what I've seen. So yeah, no complaints. And this is an OBA, so I'm not in any way promoting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they're paying me. I'm getting a big check when this is out. I'm kidding. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Talk about managing assets. What level did you get to when you decided like, hey, now I want to get a CFA in. I'm no longer going to be kind of the, my guess is at some point or even now you have discretion on the accounts and you've been managing. What's been your thoughts there? Are you an individual stock, individual bond, structured notes at all? Do you do any of that? Alternatives? What's your allocation strategy look like? Yeah, so about 10 years ago, I made the decision to bring the management in-house. I'm not doing anything fancy. We're, we're own, we own, we have seven different portfolios. Some of them are income-oriented. We build our bond ladders internally. I just realized that from a tax standpoint, because I had the size, everybody doesn't have the advantage I have, which is I have the size to do this. Scale, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have scale. But I decided, you know what, I can manage tax uh, outcomes much better on an individual stock basis. I can manage fixed income much better on an individual bond basis. We do a little bit of structure, but not a lot. It's not because I hate anything or I like or dislike anything. It just made more sense for me at my scale. I used to tell the joke to clients, well, why are you buying XYZ fund when it owns Microsoft and Apple and John Deere? I mean, you, what's keeping you from doing that yourself, right? You don't need them to do that for you. And then some of the tax pitfalls of owning in a non-qualified account, a mutual fund, which we all learned in 23, or were reminded in 23, as I saw some of those capital gains getting pushed out. So I just felt like it was a more efficient thing. It gives me, if I'm being honest, it gives me a competitive advantage. Because if I'm going up against somebody who's selling a proprietary fund model or ETF model, my cost is lower. I I don't have the cost of the product. So I also think there's a... I also think there's, and, and I manage the same exact way. I do all individual stocks, individual bonds, and I do structures. But the there's also behavioral finance in that, which is know what you own, own good stuff. Clients are a lot more likely to stay invested during bad times when they know what they own. I think there's a huge advantage than owning XYJ mutual fund, because when that thing drops 10% tomorrow, yeah. your, 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 your answer is, well, it owns XXXX, and I have zero control over that. I think most clients actually like the fact that you're the guy. Yeah, I think if you're looking at your your online reporting or you're looking at your statement and you see XYZ fund is, like you said, down 10% or 15%, you're like, first of all, I don't even know what that is. It's this XYZ growth fund or dynasty fund or the whatever fund. Whereas if you're looking at a statement and it's down 10%, you're like, well, Microsoft, Apple, and John Deere are probably not going out of business. So I can deal with this temporary downturn. It's just a different mental conversation that clients have in with themselves. And I think it's an effective one. 100%. Yeah, I, I always use the analogy, shorter nuclear holocaust, we're all going to use our Apple iPhones tomorrow. We're all going to drink Diet Coke uh-huh. and we're all going to eat McDonald's. Yep. So if you, <laughs> you, own, you own good stuff, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, check and check, yes. <laughs> exactly. And it's funny, it takes 
it takes years in the business to actually go through that. And at first you're not, most firms are not going to give you permission to manage money, nor should they, right? Because you probably don't know what right. you're doing yet. And two, Correct. most of the time you're doing pro package products. And then as you go through those package products and you sit with those wholesalers and they go, oh, well, this, this fund is new and it's going to do something that the other funds have never done before. And then you look two years later and it's down 70% yep. when the market's down 40 you start going, you know what? I don't think we need all that anymore. I think, and, and you're right, yeah. there, there is a scale where it make, makes sense. You can't really take a, you know, a $10,000 account and diversify that in individual equities properly, but you can when you got a million dollar account. So it's, it's nice speaking to somebody that actually believes that too, which is good. Yeah, well, it's funny because I, make, I always make the joke that some advisors, you can tell who they had lunch with by their portfolios. It's like, yeah, well, he he had lunch with the the Putnam wholesaler, which is why he owns those. It's it's I hate to say that it's true. But it's pretty. I I heard once or read once that the average advisor with a ten year uh, ten year has about three hundred and sixty five QCIPs in their book, and they know about thirty of them. So it's because they've had all these lunches over the years, or dinners, or I said long ago, I'll buy my own steak. Thanks anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing about those, again, is either either they're wholesaler products that are in that portfolio or they're not actually managing it. It's in some some proprietary fund manager that you're you're paying them a, a management fee to call you once a quarter and tell you how you're doing. Just Yeah, <laughs> and it's for those of us, all of us who are probably everybody watching this has been to a conference. The funny thing to me is you'll walk into a conference, you get to the wholesaler booth and you're like, hey. Didn't you used to be in that booth and now you're in this booth and now this booth is the better booth? That's Got the better it, fun. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way better than those. <laughs> yeah, it's fu it's funny too. You also get to a stage and I'm guessing this has happened to you. I have people on my team who answer our phones here and we get bombarded with calls because the, the more production sure. you do, the more calls you get from people to push product and they'll try secret ways of getting in, <laughs> trying yes. to get in the door, which is always fun. Yes, you get the you get the Yeti cup, you get the cheese. I got a cheese board the other day. I'm like, how many cheese boards do I actually need? <laughs> you know, so the, 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 they're always the gifts you're never going to use, too. Yes, yes, a lot of like I, squishy balls. I got a lot of squishy balls. <laughs> That's funny. As far as the, the, the future, you mentioned your son's come aboard. You got the second leg in you, the second wind. What's the, what's the future look like? Like what, what is the next three years, five years, 10 years look like for you? I, like I said, I'll be 60. And I, I mean, as I often say, we're not digging ditches or tar and roofs here. It's not, we work in the air conditioning. So it's not like we're, we should be running out of energy. With that said though, it's a stressful business we're in. I've been doing this 37 years and there are many days where I'm like, I should go back to bagging groceries like I did in high school and be perfectly happy. But no, it's a very rewarding business. It's a very satisfying business. But my next five or six years are, are developing marketing programs for my young team. In addition to my son, I have my CFAs in his 30s, my lead planners in his late 20s. We have a lot of wonderful young people. And my only goal for the next five or six years is to build a practice that I can walk away from and they can run for the next 30 years. That is my primary goal. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. I'm, I, I just started doing this about a year ago, as far as expanding the team dramatically, we went from like two people to 10 people. And as I'm doing it, I'm most mostly bringing in younger people. Not only do they have 
some great ideas and some concepts. Obviously, some of what mean was because we've gone through the ups and downs, the bad markets, the good markets. We've dealt with death. We've dealt with birth. We've dealt with all kinds of client situations. And watching the younger people get better at their craft and kind of helping them with that is actually quite rewarding. It, it is. It's, I, it's what I tell them. I say, look, I'm leveraging happiness. If I... If it's just about me and I just want to make as much money as I can make, I could fire everybody tomorrow and add a million dollars with the EBITDA in a second, right? That's not what I'm trying to do. I think you reach a certain level of comfort and you realize, all right, another car isn't going to do it. Another this isn't going to do it. It's how can I leverage? How can I watch that 29-year-old person who has a young child at home grow his income, grow his family, and provide value to other people? I mean, that's I mean, I don't mean to be preachy about it. I'm not like, don't get me wrong. I like my toys. I like my stuff. But the reality is that's at some point you learn that's far more rewarding to the point you already made. Yeah, that's the value. hundred percent. Lastly, Scott, what's some good pieces of advice you would give to advisors entering the business or advisors that are looking to make the next step? I think curiosity. I mean, there's no growth. There's no growth without discomfort. One of the things I see, because we have lots of advisors and I see them all approach it differently. Some of them I can reach, some of them I can't. A lot of advisors are terrified of discomfort. They're terrified of spending money on themselves. That's the big one is I spend a fortune every year on marketing. And a lot of advisors, if I say, I think I just read somewhere that the average advisor spends about 12 grand a year. Uh, marketing. I'll spend 20 grand this month, if not more. And what I would say to that is you have to believe in yourself enough to invest in yourself. And if you don't, you're not going to grow. And, and a lot of advisors do this for the money. I think Michael Kitts has said this. He said, you can tell an advisor that does it for the money because they reach a point where they're making 200, 300, 400 grand, and then they just stop. And then they play defense. And that's okay. I'm not saying it's wrong to be content. What I'm saying is you got to love the profession. You got to love getting better. The better I've gotten, the more I've enjoyed what I've done. So I would say invest in yourself, invest in your practice. Don't be afraid to throw a dinner that nobody comes to. It's going to happen, right? But I, a lot of times I'll say, well, go spend two grand at Bruce Chris and invite a bunch of people. Oh, what? I can't know. What if nobody comes? And I'm like, well, you'll get a nice dinner out of it and you'll learn a valuable lesson about marketing. Yeah. So invest in yourself. Yeah, I love that. And, and, and you are right. People get to, it's normally, I would say that four or 500,000 production mark yeah. where they're making that two or 300 or 400 and, and, and they do yeah. stop. And it's, it's funny when I, you know, when I went from a half a million to a million and a half to 2 million, I, I'm not saving any more money, but I'm having a lot more fun uh, with clients and building the practice, which is actually, I guess that's an entrepreneurial thing that me and you share. And yeah. maybe not every advisor yeah. has that all, as well, but they, yeah, they don't. Yeah, I would say less than 20% have it. And here's, I wrote in my book about the advisor that I would witness would come in at nine, they'd stand around the coffee talking about the football game. They'd read the journal for 15 or 20 minutes. They'd answer Mrs. Smith's angry phone call. They'd go to lunch for two hours. They'd come back and leave at four. And then they're befuddled as to why the entrepreneur who just sold his $20 million plumbing business doesn't want to give them the money because he was working 90 hours a week in his elbows up to you know what, and you're working the way you're working. And yeah. they can see that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Scott, it, it was awesome having you on. What's the what's a good way for anybody to reach you if an advisor has a question or may, potentially interested in, in joining the Central Florida team you got building? A hu- humongous team, by the way, growing every day. Scott, what's a great way to reach you? You can reach us at 407-648-1881 or just go to edgewaterfamilywealth.com. I mentor lots of young advisors. Some of them aren't even at my firm. I love doing it. If you have a question, if you're like, I want to try this marketing thing or that marketing thing, or you just have a general question for an old guy, I'm in. Give us a shout. Excellent. And then, and they can find you on the radio. That's on Tuesdays, you said? Yeah, Tuesdays at 520 on 104.1 iHeart Radio. Yep. And you can get that, I think, within an hour and a half outside of Orlando. It, it, it still picks it up, the signal, pretty good. Yeah, you can stream it. it you can stream it from anywhere on a computer. And, and then lastly, the book, I've, I've Never Made Anyone Rich. Where do, you gra- where do you grab a copy of that? You can go to Amazon.com and find a copy of I've Never Made Anyone Rich. And the reason I called it that is the one thing I want advisors to realize is that's not your job is not to make people rich. Your job is to maintain wealth. And I can tell you, I know hundreds of advisors, if not thousands of them. Our job, if, you're, if your client's rich, it's because of what they did. Your job is to help them maintain that wealth and move it forward. Awesome. Awesome. Make sure you pick that up. Hope everybody enjoyed today's podcast and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much. Thanks, Evan.